Amen. Well, turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 16. Moving through this book and making progress as we finish the last book of the Bible in our study through the Bible, and, and so it's, we're getting there. Chapter 16, in a way, is pretty much the end of what's the tribulation period. Now, the next three weeks, chapters 17, 18, and 19, is an expansion of what happens here, and specifically the destruction of the kingdom of the Antichrist and ramifications of that. But as we've been reading ever since chapter 6, it's been during this seven-year period of time called the tribulation or the time of pressure. And these judgments have been happening as we have seen. First, seven seal judgments, then seven trumpet judgments. And here in chapter 16, the seven bold judgments. And together, collectively, they describe a whole lot of events that take place in a short period of time in order for God to bring judgment on the earth for rejecting Jesus, but in particular, an opportunity to draw people to Jesus still. The last few holdouts, hopefully, God can squeeze them out of what's left in this earth before he destroys the earth and sets up a new heaven and a new earth after Jesus fulfilling the prophecies of the Old Testament by setting up his kingdom. And so here we're coming to the end of that short period of time that inflicts all sorts of damage. Now, in order to understand it in the overall context, um, over in Colossians chapter 1, Paul talks about the role of Jesus as being the one who created everything. And then he says, as you read like verses 16 and 17, Colossians 1, it says, by him everything was made, and by him everything holds together. The word in the English translation is consists, but it really means that he's holding creation together. He's the one who keeps it moving. He's the one who continues to allow it to function. And when, the more you begin to study the nature of this planet, the nature of life itself, you appreciate how much it takes for life to continue to function the way that it does. It's miraculous on a moment-by-moment -moment basis if God just released it and let it run its own course, as many people want to do. An awful lot of people think that somehow, however we got here, that there's this evolutionary process by which nature continues to improve itself and is able to take care of itself. But there's also a recognition that it's not working very well because things are deteriorating in nature. We know this and we see it happening and, and people are frantically trying to save the earth. But in reality, the only one that can save the earth is the one who holds it together, the one who makes it work the way it does. Well, in chapter 16, we come to a time when Jesus finally begins to let go. When God says, you guys have been wanting me to leave you alone for thousands of years. I have been trying to help you and save you, and you have been saying, God, we don't want to hear from you. We reject you. And so here, finally, towards the end, he is just saying, okay, go ahead. Have it your way. Do it without me. See what happens when I begin to release my grip on everything that is creation, when no longer does everything hold together because of what Jesus does. Now, we saw last week at the end of chapter 15, 
this is about to take place, these bowl judgments, and we see God the Lord retreat to his throne room, and as he's there in the temple, it fills with glory, and it says there in in verse 8 of chapter 15, no one was able to enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. So as I said last week, the Lord says something is about to happen, and I want to be alone. This isn't something that he took great pleasure, oh, I can't wait to destroy these people. It's something that he has done everything he can possibly do to allow as many people as possible to come to know him. But now, in his pain, but in his justice, he closes the curtain to his temple in heaven, and he says, this has to happen, but I'm going to be alone. I, I don't want any company as this is going on. And so we begin in at that point in chapter 16, verse 1, and it says, Then I heard a loud voice from the temple. The Lord, as he's by himself, calls out loudly and says to the seven angels, Go and pour out the bowls of the wrath of God on the earth. They knew what needed to happen. They were waiting for his word. And as he closes the curtain to heaven, he calls out from within the privacy of the throne of God, and he says, Let's do this. Let's wind this up. And then we see these judgments begin to unfold. The first bowl there in verse 2. So the first went and poured out his bowl upon the earth, and a foul and loathsome sore, like a tumor, came upon the men who had the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. We saw earlier that during this time, as this evil one-world government is set up, You had to take a mark, which was either a literal mark on you or perhaps a computer chip inserted under the skin of your hand or your forehead, and this would allow you to continue to do business. If you decided not to take the mark, and you had to worship the beast in order to get the mark, if you turned that down, it would be really difficult for you to survive. Possible, but very difficult. So many people took this mark. Well, here in in the first bowl judgment, everyone who had the, the mark broke out in, a hor- in horrible sores. Now, it easily could be that this device that's the mark is actually some sort of carcinogen that creates cancer. Now, nowadays, almost everything man has made creates cancer. That's why cancer is so much on the increase. It's kind of like the old Woody Allen movie, Sleeper, where guy goes to sleep and then he wakes up hundreds of years later and they've discovered that the only thing that doesn't cause cancer is Hostess Twinkies. You know, but that's almost the way everything we make, it turns out, oh, just listen to even the medicine that they advertise on TV, all the warnings about all the side effects. The best thing we can do is create really sophisticated ways of killing ourselves. And, and so cancer, as it's increasing, at this point, it would seem... And by the way, if you haven't had cancer yet, there's cancer all around us, things that cause cancer. Again, you can't breathe without breathing in carcinogens, right? I mean, we've found out now that all those times when we took a can of whipped cream and sprayed it into our mouth, oh, that causes cancer too. But here the Lord says, you know what? I'm going to start with you people who made yourself safe by worshiping the beast and taking the mark. And that turns into cancer. 
The only reason you don't have cancer if you don't have it is because God has somehow protected you from that. It's all around us. It's everywhere. Most of us at one time or another will get it. Maybe it's just a skin cancer, like every once in a while I just go in and get chunks of my body cut off of me. Um, Others, you know, suffered in a much more serious way. But here in the last days, the Lord goes, you don't like me? Let me show you what I have been protecting you from. And so the first thing are these sores that break out. Then it gets even more serious. The, in the second bowl, in verse 3, the second angel poured out his bowl on the sea, and it became blood as of a dead man. Or it became like blood is in a dead man. That is, you know, blood is where the life possibilities flow within us, and a dead person's blood does them no good, and so the sea does that. And it says, every living creature in the sea died. Then the third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers, the fresh water, and springs of water, and they became blood, they became death in the same way. So the second and third bowl, the entire water supply is destroyed. Now, do you understand the extent to which the existence of water and everything in it is an amazing miracle? This amazing machine that God created, first of all, with that water cycle that allows water to be constantly vaporized and then it falls as rain to to give nutrition to plants and to make that possible, to filter the water through God's system to make it possible for us to drink it. We need water. We have to drink every few days or we're in serious trouble. And God has designed that whole system. But then when you look at the ocean, and you may not recognize immediately when you look at the ocean and understand what a miracle the ocean is. How incredibly complex is the system that allows the ocean to function. Now, you know your body is like 60% or so water. So we are made of water. Just about everything else we see is made of water to a degree. But now if you're really obese, you can get down to about 45%. But still, that's a lot of water. But the the ocean, now the ocean covers 71% of the earth. So often we talk about the ocean as being, um, you know, as being uh, two-thirds of the earth. But when it comes to life, the ocean is way more than two-thirds of the earth. And here's why. We cover, you know, again, less than 30% of the earth with land, and we use a lot of the surface of the earth, but there are places where the surface of the earth isn't, isn't supporting life very much. Um, Las Vegas, places like that. But then <laughs> everywhere, we have the, most of the surface covered with life, and then maybe you know the NBA takes life up seven feet, then if you have a two-story house or a, a 20-story hotel or something, we extend life a bit up from the surface. And then up above that, there's a few birds flying around and things like that. But think about the ocean, 71% of the surface of the earth, but if you take the average of all of the water in the earth, it's an average of over 12,000 feet deep. And every square inch of that is supporting tons of life forms. Now, up at the top of the ocean, it's primarily plant life. And as far as the sun can penetrate the surface of of the seas, you have 
tons of plant life, microscopic and huge kelp beds and things like that. Now, you may just think, oh, you know, how important is that? But see, the truth is, and you have to give this to plants and vegetables, they're the only thing in the earth that can turn something that is completely non-organic, sunlight, into life, into nutrients. Plants are able to live off of nothing that's organic. Now, if you're a vegetarian, you can be as close as possible to that source of energy. But even as a person, when you think about it, if you eat something that got life from light in photosynthesis, it's pretty amazing that that, for you, can turn into what we know as life. As Dr. Wildersmith used to say, the human body is an amazing machine because it can turn potatoes into thought. And it's true, it's amazing what it does. But in the sea, you see little fish eating the plants. Those fish go down and get eaten by bigger fish. Those get eaten by bigger fish. There's this amazing cycle. All of that happening is what allows the sea to continue to eject through as an offshoot of photosynthesis to send oxygen into the air, which is why we are able to breathe, why we are able to eat, and everything else. It's an amazing machine. Down at the bottom of the sea where no man has ever been, and over 90% of the sea has never been, has never been uh, explored ever, but down there, 90% of all the species in existence are down there where we have never even seen them. So the sea is this teeming thing of life that provides and gives an opportunity for us to continue to live. And the more you look into it, and the more you go down to the microscopic and the molecular level, you realize the sea is the vast expanse of God's creation, as far as we know it, and we couldn't survive without it. So here, in these, in these bowl judgments, where the salt water and the fresh water, now they've been affected earlier, a third of them, but now it's like all of it. God says, you want to live without me? How about I just shut down my little machine that I created that allows you to live? I will stop the cycle of life that exists in the sea that you've never even seen and you don't explore and you can't. You go down to the bottom of the sea, the pressure down there is 16,000 pounds, the weight of an elephant per square inch. And you just think, oh, then it doesn't matter. Oh, it matters because it's all contributing to keeping you alive. And God just says, you know what? Let's just shut that off a little bit. If you want to breathe, why don't you make your own air? If you want to drink, why don't you make your own water? And so he interrupts these cycles that we so take for granted, and now we're in trouble. Because now, in a short time, we're going to run out of bottled water, we're going to run out of oxygen, and we're, we're dying. It's bad news. So he does that. And as this happens, in verse 5, it says, And I heard the angel of the waters saying, Apparently there is an angel whose primary job is to keep the whole water cycle and all the life that's involved in water and all the processing and filtration of water. This angel is the one who the Lord uses to keep all this going. And so now the Lord says to him, hey, you've been working for thousands of years. Why don't you take a day off? And he says, 
He doesn't say, but wait a minute, I've worked hard for the water. Do you know what will happen when we take away this source of life? No, he says, you are righteous, O Lord. You're doing the right thing. The one who is and who was and who is to be, because you have judged these things, for they, the people, have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink, for it is their just due. He said, these people deserve this, and this is the right thing to do. You created these life forms in order to support people, and they're rejecting you. I don't blame you for shutting it down. And so it's shut down. And I heard another voice, verse 7, from the altar saying, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. Then in verse 8, we see the fourth angel, and he pours out his bowl on the sun. And power was given to him to scorch men with fire. And men were scorched with great heat, and they blasphemed the name of God who has power over these plagues, and they did not repent and give him glory. In the fourth bowl, something happens to the sun whereby its heat is greatly intensified. Now, it's still possible for people to survive. No doubt certain people would be killed by it, but it's like cranking up the temperature everywhere. And, and there are a lot of things, and some people have speculated that what happens here is that there is what's called a nova. Now, the sun, like every star, is composed and, and empowered by the nuclear fusion and mainly of hydrogen and also there's helium inside there that is these bombs are blowing up inside the sun and it keeps it interestingly at a really relatively uniform state now we know from studying other stars that periodically there are novas which is where there's an explosion that happens close to the surface of the star and it gives off great light and intense heat. We've observed this in the cases of some of the white dwarf stars and things like that. Some of them are where the helium inside the star gets built up too much, and it explodes to the surface, and it's a helium nova that some have been observed that just for a short time, maybe for 100 days or a little less than that, maybe a little more than that, this great heat comes off the star. Now, I don't know if that's what this is because it doesn't say it, but if it is, imagine all of a sudden, and this could happen at any time, by the way, God just turns the thermostat up, and now he decides, we're going to have an average of 120 degree temperature everywhere. Now, out in the desert, that's going to be even more. You know, maybe in the tropics, it would be a little less, or at the poles. But drastic damage happens to the environment. You've got a problem with the sea, so you're low on oxygen, low on water. And, and now this heat comes down, and it's just intensely burning anybody who can't stay down inside. But when you go down into caves, you go down underground and things like that, you're, you're going to sort of protect yourself, but it'd be even really hot down there because this heat begins to penetrate the crust of the earth, and it's just warm everywhere, and people are burned, and they're miserable. What do you suppose keeps that from happening now? In fact, why is it that the sun is the perfect distance from the earth so that if it moved a little further away, if the earth moved a little further away from the sun, we would all freeze, and if the earth moved a little closer to the sun, we would all burn up? Why is it that, we're, that we look every day, the sun comes up, 
this nuclear pile of explosives, nuclear fusion happening constantly, and yet this doesn't happen. If it happens, we're done. But it doesn't happen. See, because God is monitoring and protecting the humans in the environment that he created. And you can appreciate that or you can not appreciate it, but you're the beneficiary of it because at any moment, there are so many opportunities for man to be wiped out off the face of the earth. So many. Asteroids could hit that would wipe so many people out. There are potential volcanoes that can erupt. There are disasters within the atmosphere and environment and things like that. People worry about climate, but imagine if if the sea begins to evaporate, what that's going to do to the climate. And if there's no life going on and there are no oxygen being emitted. So here it's just another thing where it's like God now says, you want to live without me? Okay, then I'm going to let nature do what nature does. Because see, nature by its nature does not automatically continue to improve. That's the myth of evolution. What you see when you study nature more and more is a devolution, is the fact that, that life is wearing out, that energy is dissipating, that things are moving from a state of order to disorder, according to the second law of thermodynamics. So how do we survive? It is a miracle. And so now here, the Lord just says, you know what, for a while I'll take a break. You don't like the fact that I've been holding everything together, so I'll take my hands off. Just watch what happens. Watch what the sun does. Watch how this affects you. And between that and the ocean, the sea, the life cycles of the sea, which is most of your physical existence, is shut down just because I stop doing what I'm doing. And so he says, you know, that happens. And what do the people do? Do they go, wait, God, we need you. Could you help? This is a mess. They, they're, they're being scorched with fire, and they blaspheme the name of God, who has power over these plagues. And they did not repent and give him glory. That's all he wanted. He wanted them to realize they're destroying themselves. And if they will turn to him, they can be saved. But will they do that? No, like so many people who claim to not believe in God, who resist the call of God, people who don't believe in God, it's amazing how much they hate God. It's amazing how hostile they are. You know, and so you see people who are just making the goal of their life to convince people that there's no God. I don't believe in the Easter bunny, but I don't hate the Easter bunny. I don't go into Walmart at Easter and just start ripping apart all these bunnies. In fact, when bunnies appear in chocolate form, I rather like them. <laughs> but I know they're not real. But there's something about people who claim there's no God that caused them to hate God because deep down inside, they're resisting him, and yet they know he's there. They know there's something there. And in these cases, they're speaking against him instead of asking for his help. Amazing. And then the fifth angel in verse 10 poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast. Attacks where the center of this government is, and we'll read more about it in the next couple chapters. And his kingdom became full of darkness, and they gnawed their tongues because of the pain. Now, it's just speculation, but if, in fact, 
there was a nova, and certainly with the sea dying and now the sun increasing its strength for a short time, what's going to happen is the water that's left is going to be evaporated. But it, because there's so much of it, because it's so hot, it would accumulate and, and make a huge shroud of, of moisture and cloud and everything all over the earth. It would make it go dark. Um, we've seen this happen when there's volcanic activity. Uh, you remember when Mount St. Helens went off, it made a vast portion of the western United States be dark in the middle of the day. And we all, even down here, had stuff all over our cars and everything. It was a real creepy feeling. But if the sun heats up enough, it would easily cause this kind of darkness to take place. It would cause, and, and again, as he says there, he seems to still tie it in, because he says that they gnawed their tongues because of the pain. In other words, their tongue was dry. They were dehydrated. There wasn't water in order to moisturize them, and their tongue would stick to the roof of their mouth, and they're like, man, I got cancer, and it's dark and depressing, and it's hot and humid and miserable. Oh, this is, it's just getting worse. It's just getting, at the point of the human level, it's, it's agonizing to read about this. They responded by, verse 11, they blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains, because of their sores, and they did not repent of their deeds. Oh, man. After five bowls, they're just getting madder. They're just turning against God more and more. And God's just going, I thought you wanted me to leave you alone. I'm leaving you alone. I'm not doing what I've always done for you. How do you like it? We don't like it, and we don't like you. Then, verse 12, the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates. Now, as all of the water is being dried up, Euphrates is an area that divides traditionally east and west, and it would kind of block the path on the ground of easily getting from the east to the west. Now, he's going to be talking about the Battle of Armageddon, but in this case, apparently, because the water has evaporated, and now the ground is beginning to harden, and you have an easy way for armies coming from the east in order to come to the west, and that's just what the Bible predicts would happen. Now, whether these armies come from, from Asia, from China, and places like that, from India, from the eastern portion of Russia... We don't know, but there are a whole lot of people that are east of Israel, and now they are beginning their march toward Israel. By this time, the Antichrist is convincing everyone that everything that bad is happening is because of Israel. And so let's get together and destroy them. So now these armies are able to come. And I saw in verse 13, three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon, that's Satan, out of the mouth of the beast, that's the Antichrist, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are spirits of demons, performing signs which go out to the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. Why in the world they would want to attack Israel while all this is happening? Well, part of it is the demonic influence. These demons come out, and they inspire, according to this, the kings from all over, so let's gather together, and if we wipe out Israel, I think everything's going to be okay. And this 
becomes what's so-called the Battle of Armageddon. It's not much of a battle. They gather together there around the Valley of Megiddo, and the Lord Jesus comes back and just wipes them out. But in the middle of this, it says, verse 15, Behold, I am coming as a thief. Jesus spoke and said that he's coming like a thief. You're not going to expect me if you're not prepared. Blessed is he who watches, who's paying attention, who keeps his garments, keeps his clothes handy, lest he walk naked and see and they see his shame. So again, injected into the middle of this last move of the armies against the Messiah, he reminds them of the fact that they can be prepared. And the way they can be prepared is by accepting Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and thus being clothed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So bad things are coming. You can either be prepared for it or you can be on your own and dealing with it from a naked perspective. And verse 16, they gathered them together to the place called in Hebrew Armageddon. And then the seventh bowl happens. Then the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air. And a loud voice came out of the temple of heaven from the throne saying, it is done. Same thing Jesus said as he hung on the cross. It's finished. It's over. And as this happens, there were noises and thunderings and lightnings and there was a great earthquake, such, as, such a mighty and great earthquake as had not occurred since men were on the earth. Now, if my speculation is correct about the, the um, solar nova that causes the heat to go up, and then darkness comes because of this vast canopy of moisture that gets stalled in the atmosphere above the earth, at some point when the sun cools off, that's going to be released. And in the case of ANOVA, this could be just days or hours after the initial burst of heat. Imagine what that will do. The seas have been evaporated. And all of this is wrapped up up in the atmosphere. And now there's a catastrophic change as the sun begins to cool. What's going to happen? Major storms. Lightning and thunder crashing from all this accumulation of moisture. And as it's pounded down, combined with the fact that, you know, glaciers have all been melted, solar ice caps are long gone, all of this destruction, the earth is dry, now the water comes pounding down, what's going to happen? Well, among other things, major earthquake activity. Because the pressure on the tectonic plates has been adjusted as, it's, as the pressure is released, as water comes down, mountains are washed in to the sea, what used to be the sea. The uh, islands are washed away and everything. This massive unfolding of historical proportions that, as he says here, ever since people have been on the earth, there's never been an earthquake like this. Um, an interesting choice of words. Some people believe that there was a time before the creation account in Genesis 1 and 2 that involved some sort of disaster that left the earth formless and void. 
Now, if that was the case, that was probably the time when Satan rebelled and was cast to earth because we get to the Garden of Eden and that's already happened. Scriptures talk about him being cast down. You'd expect there to be catastrophes. And so his choice of words here might be a hint that there was a worse earthquake at another time, but ever since people have been here, this is the worst one. But you can play with that thought if you want. Um, It's just interesting to me. So... All of this noise, thunders, lightning, this major earthquake as everything settles in again. And now, verse 19, the great city, Jerusalem, was divided, split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell, and great Babylon was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath, as we will see in chapters 17 and 18. Then every island was washed away, Mountains, you couldn't figure out which mountain was which because they've been moved around so much. Great hail from heaven fell upon men, each hailstone about the weight of a talent, like a hundred pound hailstone. And men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, since that plague was exceedingly great. So here's what we see in chapter 16. God says, I have been preserving this environment, but if you want... We'll just let Mother Earth take care of things. And Mother Earth just allows this place to fold because there's no Mother Earth that can preserve it. The Earth has no life apart from the preserving power of the Lord Jesus Christ, according to the Scriptures. So God takes his hands off. Major devastation happens the moment he does, which would definitely be the case. But what's the reaction of the people? They're mad at God. They're like, why are you doing this? He's not doing it. He's just not doing what he's always done. And so as people break out with, with, with sores, with cancer, as there's this heat, as the water dries up, as that whole cycle, the water cycle doesn't happen anymore, everyone's mouth is dry, there's no water, we're running out of oxygen very quickly, and then there's a storm and hailstones and earthquakes and all this kind of stuff, people are just going, God, I hate you. What? You don't want him here. And when you tell him to get lost, he goes, okay, I'll back off. And this is what happens. But there are some people who it doesn't matter what happens, they will not repent. They will not turn to God. They won't take responsibility for the fact that they have been participating in that which is destroying mankind. And yet they don't want to ask for help. And and that's tragic, but it's true and it's always going to be true. Through all of this period of time of judgment and through all the time that's happened before that, even to this day, the message is going out. But during that seven years, 144,000 people, two witnesses, an angel flying through space, everybody hears. Everyone has a chance to get saved. But a lot of them are just still saying, not only no thank you, but no, and this is your fault, and I hate you. And, and all of that's unfolding. An opportunity for salvation, and they turn it down. And now we know we're coming to the end because everyone who has, will possibly ever turn to Jesus Christ. They've had so many opportunities, and even this won't do it, it's time for them to be put down. It's time for them to be put out of their misery, It's time for God to destroy what's left. 
to establish his kingdom, ultimately to build the eternal state that we'll all live in where he is our leader and our king forever. It's about to happen. The rebellion on this earth, as Jesus himself says, it's done. It's over. And this day is coming very quickly. But in a lot of ways, it comes even now. Because all of these judgments we're seeing happen before our very eyes. We see what's happening to our planet. We understand the dangers that are involved that, man, it's in a delicate, delicate balance. And, we, and it seems like everything we invent makes it worse. And yet we have to have what we have to have. And so we're choking the life out of ourselves. This is what happens when you go, I'm going to do it my way. I want to do it without God. And so as we see that, let's not blame God. Let's just go, I'm glad he made it last this long. It's absolutely miraculous that life exists and can be supported by this incredible machine that he has designed. The human body, the environment that we have, the functioning of water, all of that just makes it amazing that we've survived. So there's always a choice. Will you glorify God for being who he is or will you curse God and then be a part of that which has to be destroyed, which has to be taken out. And that's a choice that we all have. Ultimately, as he says here, blessed is he who pays attention and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. See, to understand who God is and to repent, that word means change direction, is what allows us to be clothed for eternity. It's what allows the righteousness of Jesus to be given to us, and thus none of this has a threat to us. Because whatever happens to us, we instantly go to be with him. And so the appeal is always, until the end, you don't have to be destroyed. You can be clothed. You can take on that which will protect you, that which will allow you to live forever. You know, I'm sure there are people who are listening right now, whether, you know, here in the room or whether later as it runs on the radio program, who listen to all this and they just go, I don't know. I'm not sure I want to let God run my life. I would caution you, be careful. Because someday he will take his hand off of the preserving nature that he, that he has and then you're either going to stand naked or you're going to be clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. You're going to have to answer for your life. Something, either, either you take the righteousness of Christ or you will stand alone. And how are you going to do standing alone against God and against nature? Not a smart place to be. If you're listening to this or if you're here today, and you have never got your garments, you've never given your life to Jesus, repented, I strongly urge you to do it now. This world is not going to get better. It's not, getting, it's not improving. Someday it's going to lead to God taking his hands off of it completely. But you don't have to be there. You don't have to be a victim of that. Give in now. Acknowledge that he is the Lord now. Bless him and glorify him now. And as you do that and give your life to him, then you're ready. You're paying attention. You're watching 
and you're protected by the God who made you. Don't go it on your own and don't wish God would leave you alone. When God leaves you alone, you're in big, big trouble. Maybe you hate coming to church because every time they talk about giving your life to Christ, every time they talk about sin or hell or things like that, you're like, shut up, I don't want to hear about that. That just messes with me. That just lays a guilt trip on me. No, that, that's something that's designed to save you. God doesn't want to hurt you. He wants to help you. He wants to save you. And I pray that if you haven't done that, you'll do it today. After the service, there'll be people down here in the front who love praying for people for any reason. But they can lead you in a prayer to accept Jesus Christ, to make sure that when God takes his hands off, that you won't have anything to worry about because you have put yourself in his hands and you will have his protection, his salvation, his garments. If you haven't done that, make sure that you do it today. For all of us, though, how do we live our lives? Do we want God to leave us alone or do we want to stay in the center of what God is doing? Because the same miraculous way that he maintains physical life, he also maintains spiritual life and health. He wants to make us right. He wants us to walk in the center of his will, the sweet spot of where we are in his protection. And that's a decision that we make all the time. Do I want him to leave me alone or do I want him to be as close to me as, as he possibly can? And that's a choice that we make. Ultimately, that's the big choice of life. Am I on his side? Do I want to be close to him? Or do I want to be left alone? Oh, he'll leave you alone you don't want to be there. Let's pray. Lord, thanks for your word and for this picture in the future of the days when you let go, when you take your hand of preservation and blessing off of this place and off of our lives. As the life slowly gets choked out of us because you are no longer keeping us healthy. So Lord, I pray that anyone who's here who hasn't repented and turned around, that they won't wait until something like this to happen, but they will wisely take a look into the future and realize, I don't want to be there. I don't want it to have to come to that. And Lord, we just see you are choking the life out of the planet even now. Draw people to yourself. The last holdouts Help them rather than blaspheming you to love you and glorify you and respond to you. And we thank you for the fact that what you do is always the right thing to do. And so when we look at this destruction as it's depicted, we say along with the angel of the waters, you are righteous and holy, you are good, you always do just what you need to do. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.